This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and this is episode 62. Christy, welcome to the show. Are you excited for the show tonight? This is going to be an amazing show tonight. I'm very excited. Yeah, we have Monica Burns, Dr. Monica Burns, joining us, and she is the author of Formative Tech, Meaningful, Sustainable, and Scalable Formative Assessment with Technology. And while that's a long title, I've, you know, we got a an advanced copy. Can we call it an advanced copy of the book? And we were able to look through it, and it's I think it's very useful for a large percentage of teachers. So I would definitely recommend you check it out and definitely stick around for her interview at the end of the show. But first, uh, as we always do, we'll do the EdTech Rundown. EdTech Magazine reports that Cisco has introduced a new tool to help innovate the classroom. Sparkboard is what it's called, and it's a touch-based, three-in-one collaboration device. It features a 55-inch touchscreen display and a 4K camera to capture the entire room at high resolution, and it has a 12 microphone array to help capture sound and amplify it as well. The one part that may truly be great is the collaborative software that I think comes with it. Um, and it allows those on both ends of the online meeting to really interact during it. It does come with sort of a hefty price tag of around six grand, 6,000 simoleons. Um, I'm hoping the software is included in that price. Yeah, that'd be interesting to find out. That is a large chunk of change for one piece of equipment. Um, it does look like a pretty cool piece of technology, though, and I'm hoping that it can be adapted for the K-12 market and really a reduction in the price sometime in the future. Yeah, I mean, I always kind of struggle with these large touch panels and how expensive they become. And I kind of think, couldn't you just get a large LED display for like 400 500 bucks, and then a couple tablet devices and be in an even more interactive spot. I don't know. I, I struggle with spending that much on one piece of tech. I agree with you. We're thinking about that in our district right now as well. And, you know, that's kind of the price when smart boards first came out. I mean, they were really expensive like that, too. So anyways, our next story, Startland News reported that Pear Deck, an ed tech firm that has a student engagement platform, recently raised about four million from Growth Street Partners. For those unfamiliar with Pear Deck, it helps teachers build live interactive presentations. The money will be going towards expanding Pear Deck's reach, and they hope getting into more direct inroads with teachers. Now, have you ever heard of or used Pear Deck? Yes, heard of and used, not extensively, but have both, yes. Yeah, and I you know, I, I definitely don't want to disparage anybody, but I'm, I'm curious about how, I mean, maybe it's, it, it's been a couple of years, so I won't say anything, but it was pretty basic when I first used it, so... Um, maybe they're doing some good things, so something to check out. Well, they're giving them $4 million, so they must be doing something good. Maybe this is just petty jealousy on my part that I just am like, really, $4 million? Go on. <laughs> Spread some of that our way. All right. Our next story, an inside higher ed blog explains the big money lessons that can be learned from March Madness. Now, other than simply being a way to crowbar March Madness in sports into the EdTech Weekly podcast, which is clearly why I put this in here, there are a few notable lessons, uh, maybe not notable, but there's a couple lessons that he mentions. And first, he talks about that with higher dollar contracts and money being infused to universities, it's important for those who are involved in the universities in ed tech, especially to understand how higher ed finances work. I think that's probably a, a good thing to say. I don't know why it has anything to do with March Madness other than that's what time of year it is, but certainly knowing more about ed tech finances or higher ed finances, I should say, is a good thing. 
And there certainly is a business side to EdTech. We know that. And knowing more about funding isn't a bad idea, right? And secondly, he mentions that he isn't really sure how these big NCAA sports contracts affect institutions when it comes to teaching and learning. So again, yeah, I don't really know that this is very informative. But, you know, hey, it's March Madness, and I just had to put it in there. I can see why you wanted this article. And besides EdTech, I do love tech talking econ, my other favorite podcast, just FYI, besides ours, of course, is Freakonomics. So that's another good one. And the economics of college athletics is a topic for another podcast. Mainly after reading this article, I think, wow, those college coaches make a lot of money. And I wonder what our listeners would say about paying college athletes. But once again, that's another topic for another podcast. Yeah, I, you know, I think they have to pay him on some level. I know people argue that it's, you know, a part of their, you know, a part of their tuition when their tuition gets paid. But they're making the universities a whole lot of money. I mean, this contract is like a billion dollars a year. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, someone's making a lot of money off of them. Yes. Next up, Ed Surge tells about Two Rivers Public Charter School and their approach to building assessments. They have continued to evolve programs and assessments that improve and measure things like critical thinking and problem solving. Jeff Heck Williams, director of curriculum and instruction for Two Rivers explains, our goal is to develop socially and emotionally, emotionally competent kids who can navigate the world with flexibility. But he also asks, how do we hold true to a broader vision of student success when we are still measured against a state test that in many ways is reductionist? Well, they have developed outcomes and instructional practices that help them navigate these problems, and it's available on their website, learnwithtworivers.org. You should definitely take a moment to read this article and check out their websites and their helpful rubrics. Yeah, I mean, I took a moment to check it out, and I'm, it's very interesting to me when anyone tries to kind of go against the grain of the standard tests and the things that, you know, everyone, and, and we're going to get into assessments, and I think this that's why I put this article in here. It's a really good sort of feeder into our discussion later that we're having about assessments and, and what type of assessments are the most useful and how do you take advantage of those. So um, when we are interviewing uh, Dr. Burns, we will get into that stuff, but just remember that you can email the show. Uh, that's how Dr. Burns is uh, joining us tonight. She emailed the show uh, edtechweekly at gmail.com. Again, social media, we're all over the place. Edtech Weekly Show without the W. Uh, Twitter, we're on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, check us out. We're trying to be more interactive, especially here recently. And so with that, we will have Dr. Monica Burns joining us right now. Now, Dr. Monica Burns is an EdTech and curriculum consultant, an Apple Distinguished Educator, and founder of ClassTechTips.com. Monica has presented to teachers, administrators, and tech enthusiasts at numerous national and international conferences. She's an author, and now she joins us on EdTech Weekly. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're super happy to have you. Um, we were able to secure a little advanced copy of the book from you. And I got to tell you, your newest book, first of all, for everyone here, it's called Formative Tech, Meaningful, Sustainable, and Scalable Formative Assessment with Technology. And so is there a way that you can just give um, the listeners a little quick little pitch and say, you know, why should you as a teacher read this book? Yeah. So thank you so much for uh, your kind words about the book. Um, for me, you know, developing um, just the 
thoughts around the idea of checking for understanding and how we can leverage technology. It's really about giving teachers powerful, actionable ways to make quick and meaningful changes in their classroom. So I think teachers who will respond well to this book are those who are looking for ways to leverage whatever type of technology they have to get a better picture of what their students understand, what they're working to understand, um, so that they can make instructional decisions that are meaningful for their students. Yeah, great, Monica. Uh, can you maybe give us just a, a quick answer for those that are unsure? What do you see as the differences between formative and summative assessment? Yeah, so summative assessment is what we often see as our state tests, our end of year exams, sometimes even our end of unit exams, right? We might put them strictly in a summative assessment category. They're often used for someone outside of the classroom to make decisions or to get a picture of what's going on in a school. So whether that's evaluating the effectiveness of a curriculum so that they can decide what directions to go in different school year. Our formative assessment and what I talk about in the book are the actionable, everyday, real-time um, data that we're collecting on student understanding. It's happening no matter what kind of technology we have in the classroom, just by walking around the room, peeking in to student conversations, asking questions, um, formative assessment, check for understanding is happening all the time, and it gives us information we can use right away to make decisions in our classrooms. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really great. And one of the interesting things to me, um, I've kind of come around to the point of where I'm almost like anti-summative assessment. Like, I'm almost like, why do we even do that? Like, I really just wish more people focused on that formative side. Yeah, and I, I understand, right? I, I appreciate where, where certain people are coming from when they talk about the big tests and getting a, a clear picture of where everyone is. But as a classroom teacher, you know, I sat in meetings where I was getting state test data for students from the year before. That didn't mean very much to me. It was not relevant information. It didn't feel actionable because it was a round number or a series of data points that were captured you know, four months before my students even walked into my classroom. Uh, so when it comes to more meaningful information, you know, that's the every day I see a misconception, I can address it. I notice that you've mastered this concept, let's move on. Right? I can form strategy groups, I can differentiate instruction in a way that's much more um, meaningful for not just me, but for my students in order to um, move forward along the pathway of a particular set of learning objectives. Yeah, and I think I think this is why it's such an important book for all educators to check out because it really does sort of give you the the way to make this stuff ha happen. And that's why I want to talk about perhaps what I think is one of the coolest parts about your book, and that is in fact the tables. Um, first of all, they're they're I don't want to say they're everywhere, but they're they're in a lot of places of the book. And what I really really love about them is that they're very useful, and especially uh, some of your tables that talk about. You know, here's the type of activity it is. What's the purpose? Here's an example for what it would look like in your classroom. And then here's the action. Like, here's how to make something happen. And I just was, I'm wondering when you're designing this book and when you're coming out of this, like, did you decide the table was going to be a way for you to make that happen? For you to get, like, really connect with people, even if they weren't going to have time to read the entire book? 
Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you saying that because for me, you know, as a reader, um, I want to capture information in lots of different places. And I appreciate, you know, I'm out of the classroom now, right? I do teacher training. I spend a lot of time with kids and a lot of time in schools. Um, but I want to make sure that I'm giving people information that is relevant and they can use and digest right away. So a lot of the tables reinforce, right, the conversations that I'm having with the reader in a more traditional narrative form. But I want someone to be able to digest that information and so I organized it into tables as well so you can say this is what I want to do this is how I can do it um, this is how it's different than it was before right so you can just get a snapshot of the information and kind of pick and choose where to get started you know I have a whole chapter that's just on quick tips for getting ready um, so that you can put this into practice right away um, and hopefully that kind of sets the stage for the deeper exploration that happens later in the book for thinking about making this work more sustainable um, throughout the school day, throughout the school year. Yeah, definitely, Monica. It's certainly usable and easy to read, and I could see our teachers really getting a hold of it and being able to implement something the next day. So I really like that. You list a, a variety of tech tools in there for formative assessment. Do you have a favorite? Well, there's so many um, great tools out there and you know, a phrase I use all the time is tasks before apps, right? This idea of, you know, one tool is probably not going to solve this solution or be the app for that, right? As much as choosing something that fits the needs of your students, your teaching styles, your curriculum goals. So I go through and give, you know, I spotlight lots of favorites um, just for that reason, to give people some ideas and options and kind of remind them that there's always going to be something new around the corner. You know, that being said, I really love Nearpod. It's this tool I used as a classroom teacher, um, and it's a tool I used yesterday when I was instructing a group of, of teachers here in Maryland, just kind of showing off some of the ways you can embed formative assessment um, within a lesson. So that's one that I'm really excited about, and I use all the time when working with teachers. Yeah, that's that's really cool, and I'm I'm am familiar with that as well, and I think that's a really good thing to use, and it, it works really well. And one of the things that I used to do is faculty development, and it it gives a really good way to sort of connect with whoever you're presenting to. Um, you kind of mentioned your tips. Um, I just wanted to say that you know one of the cool things about these in the book is that it gives some actionable items. It gives ways to make this stuff happen, and you mentioned that you know you're sort of giving a lot of different tech tools to use and. You know, I, I couldn't get away from chapter three. I am a huge, <laughs> huge proponent of classroom polling of I love the concept of getting immediate response and the ability to give immediate feedback. Um, it taught me so much in my teaching craft. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a set of electronic response cards that I was able to use years ago. And it surprised me when I just did these basic understanding checks throughout the course of my lessons, how I was not getting through quite the way I thought I was. And so I guess, you know, I really want people to get involved in that. So if, if someone's going to take their first step, dip their toe into the classroom polling type thing, what's the easiest tool you think for them to use to get started and, and any tips for getting started? Yeah, so all the things that you said are, are so powerful, right? We want to make sure we're checking in. Um, the research shows that when we're 
checking for understanding, you know, over the course of a lesson, we're able to really um, be as effective as possible in terms of instructors or facilitators of learning experiences. So one of my favorite tools for polling is Kahoot, right? Super engaging. You can get kind of a whole snapshot of your class in terms of where everyone is. If you're looking to do something that goes a little deeper, you might even incorporate like a back channel tool, um, whether you use something like Padlet or Today's Meet to do that and, and get a little bit more meatier information, right? And kind of accomplish the same goals of saying, is everyone on the same page? Did I misspeak? Do I need to give a new example? Or is it these four students that can really use a little extra side-by-side -side help today? And so um, there's a lot of great ones. Uh, and Kahoot is one that I find to be, you know, just really engaging for getting a full read of the room. Yeah, I love Kahoot as well. And you know what else I love about Kahoot is that it's so simple to use that students can make their own Kahoots and mm -hmm. then quiz the class that way as well. Uh, you mentioned back channels. Now I have a question for you about this. So, mm -hmm. you know, how do we keep students focused when using tech for collaboration? You know, I, I see that as a very powerful tool, but I also see some off-task things going on um, on those back channels. What do you think about that? Yeah, and absolutely, right? I think it would be silly not to acknowledge the fact that that's a reality, you know, whether we're adults in the room <laughs> easily distracted um, by having multiple tabs open or students, right, who might be more so or less so distracted than an adult learner. Um, part of it for me is thinking about what we're preparing students for outside of the classroom, right? You know, eventually they're going to have to sit in a meeting and have a conversation and multitask and stay focused. So I think building that understanding of, you know, what it is that the particular mission is for a particular day um, with students and being transparent and acknowledging the fact that they, you know, might gear in another direction or one question might prompt them to want to search for an answer when maybe they should be coming back to this other um, tool that you're focused on, you know, as part of it as well. So, you know, finding the balance, um, acknowledging the fact that, you know, students may be kind of going down a different pathway, not for any other reason than they're just curious and we want to help them um, focus in on a particular um, mission for, for one day or, or one lesson or a period um, of a particular class that you're 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 hosting all right well yeah, I know oh go ahead I just I noticed in your book I really like the anchor chart you had for back channel mm -hmm. and so I think you know just making those expectations clear but also realizing that you know learning is social as well and so that will happen um, and that's okay too yeah, and you know, I, I think it's important to acknowledge these pieces that connect to what you know kids are experiencing organically, right, with technology outside of the classroom. Um, but of course, you know, just like any routine <laughs> that's going to be put into place, right, that's something just like lining up for recess with a whole bunch of fourth graders, right. You're going to want to make sure that you have set expectations and set routines for any type of activity that's happening on a regular basis, and and hopefully some of the ones I talk about in the book do become part of routines that pop up in, in different classrooms. Yeah, and I can speak from example and say that this is not an area where it's just students that have these problems. As a former faculty developer, um, <laughs> they also could use some, you know, uh, proper modeling of these types of things. So I think when it comes down to it, um, this book, I think, is a definite must read, um, especially if you're interested in infusing tech, uh, ed tech in your classroom in an appropriate way that's going to be sustainable. A lot of times the biggest gripe from teachers is it's too hard to do this stuff. It, it, I like the idea 
I think this book could be a great first step for you. So those of you who are interested, um, which I can't imagine you not being after hearing some of the things that Monica has said, um, where can they go get this book? Yeah, so the book is available now on Amazon. So it's an instant Kindle download um, and it's shipping next week. Um, so it's up there already and just been really excited about um, the pre-orders that have come through um, already, some of the reviews that are up on Amazon. So yeah, um, it's kind of ready to grab um, right now. Well, that's awesome. And I did, I went in there and gave you an Amazon review because I really, really think it's something that everyone should check out. I really do. I think there's a lot of good tips in there. And uh, I hope you'll check it out. And Monica, we really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for coming and talking to us about this. And you are welcome to come back uh, anytime. Just email us. And if there's another particular area that we wanted to hone in and talk even more about, we'd be happy to have you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure uh, connecting with you both. Absolutely. So now um, I know your Twitter, but you want to go ahead and give that out for anybody who wants to follow you? Sure thing. Yeah. So my blog is classtechtips.com and that's where you can find pretty much daily tips and posts uh, on a wide range of technology integration. And then on Twitter at classtechtips where I tweet and share and, and chat all the time um, with lots of my favorites. So if you're listening um, and you have a question, you could always reach me there. Or if you um, want some to share something exciting that's happening in your classroom, I always love following along on Twitter too. That's awesome. And we appreciate you being on the show. And again, check her out. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at Four Tech Teachers and now EdTech Weekly Show as well. And Christy, of course, at Christy M. Warren. So thanks for listening to the show. And Monica, one more thank you. And we'll see you next time on EdTech Weekly.